Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. And we are the radio show that uh, helps you explore some of the current topics that we're looking at, particularly topics around uh, uh, conflict and uh, interpersonal violence, that kind of thing. And uh, we've actually been doing this for two years, and so um, I'm delighted that our our special guest is joining us today. Um, This is Elizabeth Cates. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, good morning, Heather. And it's okay that I call you Liz? Liz, yes. Okay, terrific. Um, I came across Liz from her um, one of her uh, websites that she does so beautifully. It's called um, thelizlibrary.org. Right, and, and it's it has a the and, in there, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and my notice I, I sent out yesterday promoting the show, I actually put, I had www.lizlibrary.org, and I got a slew of emails saying, no, 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 we couldn't find it that way, so I sent out a correction. And now I understand that there's another correction that I need to make, and that is that in the promotion I mentioned that one lawyer had uh, gotten ticked at you and wrote an article, say, staying away from this lawyer. Um, but what he was saying is that you had written that he, you sh- people should stay away from him. No, um, not, so. not really. I wrote... I wrote that people should stay away from parental alienation promoters, and in the article that I wrote, he was one of many people mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. well, so, he, took yeah, he, took, he took offense yeah. to that. Well, yeah, and I should have read it more deeply, but, you know, it just tickled me so much that here was a, a lawyer actually <laughs> sending out a thing saying stay away from a lawyer. Um, so he oversimplified, and I misread it, so I apologize for that, Liz. But we have some really uh, interesting topics to explore today. And uh, Liz, I'm going to let you give your history, your bio, because it's quite extensive. Uh, you think you sent out some of it on your newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What do you want me to say? I mean, I've been an attorney for 34 years. I'm a tax okay. lawyer by original trade. And uh, then I went into corporate uh, work, and I was in-house corporate counsel during the 80s for a variety of companies, uh, conglomerates, big conglomerates, and all New York Stock Exchange uh, companies. And in doing that, uh, I did a lot of work, uh, equal opportunity uh, defense, uh, management defense, gender issues, um, employment issues, contracts, as well as the tax and general business issues. All of it was centered around financial uh, things. And... When I had gone through law school, I, I was very interested in, the gen, in gender issues and actually did my LLM thesis on gender issues in the Internal Revenue Code. So Ooh, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> there are, and they still <laughs> exist, by the way. Uh, most of them haven't been corrected. But um, after I got out of corporate practice, after I had my kids, uh, and went into private practice, I started doing more and more family law where I had done the financial issues before and done a lot of divorce planning. Um, I started hearing from women all over the country, in fact, all over the world, to write more and do more things on the custody issues. And back in the early 90s, these were not completely on the radar. We had made all these advances uh, in the laws for women, equitable distribution, and making sure they get a fair shake. And in the 80s, they put in child support guidelines. And all of this is supposed to help women in divorces. But yeah. <laughs> guess what? Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. It's like give with one hand and take with the other. Um, while this was going on, the law started to change in various places, and the men the men's lobby started to agitate because they weren't happy uh, with the what they perceived as well. If, it's, if she gets half of everything I made while we were married and half of all the assets, and if I've got to pay child support, well, I should have more custody rights. And exactly. so, exactly. yeah, they started agitating and lobbying. Sometimes... Go ahead. Liz, I'm, I'm a, you know, a rather jaded old lady, 
And I think that it was directly tied in with the more uh, aggressive pursuit of child support. It was. That's what started it. You're correct. Totally correct. It was the child support guidelines uh, that went into effect in the 80s that actually put this on the radar for the men's rights groups. And Mm -hmm. that's what really started the agitating, but... Uh, the equitable distribution in a lot of states. I guess you're in the state of Washington, which is a community property, but in in the other states in the country, there's only a a small number, like seven, maybe seven and a half or eight, that are community property, and the rest are, were were title states. So in those states, there was no community property, and it was a big, big deal, the equitable distribution, because previous to that, if, if everything that the was owned by the married couple was in his name on a divorce he kept it yep yeah yep. so and i know of, of situations like that i i grew up in ohio and um boy it was uh it was rugged i mean there were quite a few uh women that were you know literally starving um because they had no assets and they were of an age where they weren't likely to be hired by uh um a company, you know, to make a good living. So it right. was it was grim, and I, it kind of startles me to think that there are still states where it's like that. Liz, let me give out our phone number real quick. Um, I would love to have some folks call in and join us in this conversation. Our phone number is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. So join us in this conversation. Okay, Liz, so you uh, kind of got involved in family law during that whole um, uh, period of change. I had always done, when I first got out of law school with my LM and tax law, I had done, I had a lot of mostly male clients. I practiced in Tennessee in private practice, and I used to do a lot of, once in a while when our big business clients would get divorced, I would do the planning <laughs> a lot of the planning for that um which mm-hmm. means basically he's got a mistress somewhere maybe or he wants to set up everything before he files for divorce to protect yeah, yeah. his assets so mm-hmm. that was an asset protection so i kind of got in at the back door and it, backing backing up i mean in law school interest in the family law and gender issues sort of blended with the tax issues and the financial issues because family law is a composite it touches every area of life and so but i came in through the financial uh Mm -hmm. side i would think that would give you a really great advantage in some of these situations to have that that expertise well well it helped and and that was my area of interest and and i was pretty much of a straightforward you know, feminist in those days, you know, was all about women's opportunities and, and their financial issues and so on and so forth. And as time has gone by over the last 30 years, I've, I've actually gotten very conservative because a lot of, I see a lot of mistakes that were made. And I saw oh. you know, in the 80s, yeah. as, the, as, as, the, as the focus was more and more on what women were getting, uh, the money and the financial... The pushback on that was actually hurting women. Women are in a in a far worse position now than they were 20 years ago if they got divorced. Are so, you just uh, referring to child custody, or are you saying well, that in general? Well, it, it it involves all of it. It's a child. Most most divorces are are of young women, and most of them involve children. And now uh, there's child custody issues that have burgeoned that have nothing to do with divorce altogether, just get pregnant, and, and there's been this rise oh, yeah. in unwed father's rights. So women are actually uh, nowhere near as good a position as they were in 20, 25 years ago. It's, wow. it, it's devastating because you can, get ha- you can have all the laws that say you get half of the marital assets and you get this and you get that, but in some of these cases, both of the parties are being spent into bankruptcy. Yeah, it's terrible, and and it's over fighting for the children um, in a lot of fighting cases. Fighting for the children, and 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 sometimes I think more on the men's side, but some women. Part of it is the financial, uh, because the financial issues often turn on who has custody of the children. 
which yeah. is called yeah. timeshare now in a few states because we're supposed to use. Yeah, and I've done a little research on that, and and that is not so great for kids. That um, shared flip flopping, um, shared custody, shared yep, yep. time sharing. There's yeah. there's a lot of incentive among, unfortunately, among those who write articles, uh, mostly psychologists who make money in the courts, to oh. push to push the joint custody. And the reason there's incentive for them is that that causes a situation in which there's a market opened up, a big market now, for their opinions to figure out how to do this. Oh, because yeah. the situation is, is, is either people may or may not live close by to each other. Uh, there is an issue of the children, their ages, who they should be with, what their lifestyles are like. And this has opened up a market for the psychology industry to promote themselves uh, and market themselves to the courts. So they have every Mm -hmm. incentive to make it as difficult as possible for a judge. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a market. I'm I'm laughing here because I'm actually working on my dissertation for my Ph.D. in psychology, and I can't say that I disagree with you. <laughs> well, I cannot say I disagree with you. Um, it seems like I've, I've been referring to it as the uh, divorce industry. It is the um, divorce. That's exactly correct. Um, because, you, I mean, in these high-conflict divorces, you have not only one attorney, sometimes two, um, and then if somebody appeals something to the appellate court, you've got a third, um, and assuming you can afford all this stuff, and, and then you've got uh, all the psychologists that are on both sides. You might have a psychiatrist. You've got guardians ad litem. You've got, I mean, there's just no end. The, helping, to the, the mental the, health helping industries have flooded, have flooded the court. And, and actually, they, when I started putting up things, and when this, the custody issues first came to my attention in the late 80s or early 90s, my first reaction was, you know, these are the men's lobbies pushing for rights. But that ended by the middle 90s. They're still there, but what is pushing the changes in the family law negatively for women is the psychology marketing industry. Um, and they are pushing all of these ideas, all of, which, which would have had no legs and which would have died without the psychology uh, researcher, well, they're not researchers, writers, pushing these articles yeah. constantly in, in, in the, to the public discourse and in involving themselves in, in groups with lawyers so that they can get work from the lawyers and referrals. And, and it's a whole in, it is a whole industry. Well, and judges are relying more and more on those as well because judges don't, you know, they judges really don't like to make decisions in my experience. They want somebody else to make the decision and then they'll put the gavel down. Um, I used to write pre-sentence reports for a county and uh, I've had several situations since then where it's kind of like, you know, the judges really don't have time. They don't want to figure it out. They just want to hit the gavel and have it done. So the more uh, ancillary people that they can have, you know, Checking ironically, in, they can go, okay. yeah. I, ironically, I mean, a lot of judges were great lawyers. They came often from areas that had nothing whatsoever to do with family law. Um, I think most judges actually try to do a decent job. A lot of them are overwhelmed, keeping their dockets moving. There's too many cases. But ironically, and I've got articles on the Liz Library about this, the infusion of these helping ideas, whether it's everything from parenting classes to mediation to parenting coordinators to guardians ad litem to custody evaluators and to various permutations and combinations of referring therapists that are going to work on this or that issue, all of this actually prolongs cases and makes them worse. So, And and especially for the children, because the children are right in the middle of all of this. Um, and they're just battered back and forth like a tennis ball. Well, and it's expensive, and it's oh, unnecessary. Yeah. And uh, and it, you know, I I have an article up on the on the Liz Library that basically says mistakes mothers make, and one of the mistakes that they do make is involving themselves, sorry, with uh, the mental health industry either before their divorce, during their divorce, or letting any of these people come in if they can possibly help it in their divorce case. 
They think that, that it's going to make things better, but most of the time it doesn't. Sometimes it does, but most of the time it does not. Mm-hmm. So. And why? Why does it not? Um, well, because, first of all, the decision isn't that difficult, Okay. It's something that a judge could make. And we have a system set up, an, an adversarial system. It, it, it holds in all kinds of areas of law, all kinds of complicated and difficult litigation and issues and different areas of law in which attorneys are charged with coming in, making the argument, bringing the evidence on their side, and then the finder of fact, in some cases it's a jury, but in family law it's usually a judge, makes a decision based on the evidence brought before him. Done. Okay, so there's procedures that have been in place. What is what constitutes good evidence? What are the procedures? Uh, what we what do we bring in? And then each side brings in their case, makes their argument, and the judge makes a decision. Is the judge always correct? No, but it's the best system that we can possibly have, and it's not improved. And the judge doesn't make more correct decisions by bringing in other people to opine. Now, when he brings in, whether it's a guardian ad litem doing investigation or whether it's a custody evaluator or someone else uh, by another name, they use some various names in different states, now you've got the judge who decides, well, he can't make a decision. So instead of having the lawyers bring in evidence, which is vetted, good evidence that is usually uh, allowed into court, they appoint somebody to go out and to gather all manner of all kinds of evidence, sometimes on a complete free-for-all, based on this person's opinion of what the issues should be and what the evidence should be, and then bring that back to court. This person spent is not only expensive and spends a lot of time and delays the case for months and sometimes more than a year or, or more, I've seen, then brings this information back in a filtered manner. So instead of being clean, straightforward evidence being brought to the court, uh, stuff that's been vetted under the evidence code that's been hundreds of years in development for good evidence, this person comes in with their opinion based on what they think. Uh, Whether or not they investigated everything in a balanced way, we don't know. Whether or not they're biased for one reason or another, consciously or unconsciously and they come in and they say here's what i think based on whatever i looked at now we've got a huge problem because if they're wrong and one side is often unhappy usually unhappy now we have to go back and the lawyers now have the job of investigating what that evaluator did and whether that evaluator was biased and how that evaluator and all of this just makes more and more time consuming uh, legal work cost, expense, and drags out, does it enlighten the judge? Actually, no. The only thing that it might do is cover the judge's ass when the judge the judge goes, oh, well, I depended on so-and-so, the evaluator. But, you know, the judge didn't need that. The judge could have made a decision because now, they do it in every other... Because I've encountered a lot of um, a lot of judges who don't have a clue sometimes about these different issues. So that surprises me that you say the well, judges make Well, what issues don't they have a clue about? Judges handle cases all the time in which they are unfamiliar with the facts and with the law and what the law should be. That is why we have attorneys. Lawyers come into court. That's the lawyer's job. The lawyer presents, here, Your Honor, here's the facts. Here is the law that applies to the facts. Here's the argument. That's basically what lawyers do. They're to educate the judge. The judge hears both sides and makes a decision. Under the rule of law, we follow the law. We're supposed to follow the law. But then when you have someone going out, instead of doing it in the court, and you have someone going outside and then coming in with an opinion, that's, that's an abrogation of the rule of law. That's, that's opining by someone based on whatever criteria they think you know, they should opine on and when these experts, so-called experts, come into court and opine, their opinion is supposed to be taken as evidence. The judge then can follow what they say or pick or choose if he likes it. Often they like it because they just get it out of here. This is what the evaluator says, so this is what I'll decide. And that is a total abrogation of the rule of law because often what they've looked at as evidence is hearsay. I mean, the 
here's the bottom line. You say the judge don't, doesn't know what to do. Well, they don't know what to do any better. They're just spouting an opinion. Yeah, that's okay. true. That's true. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, judges decide issues in all kinds of difficult and complicated cases in all kinds of areas of law. There's no reason why judges can't do it. And if they get well, it wrong, yet, at least the people won't be spending, they can get it wrong without the people spending all the kind of money that they do to complicate these cases with these helping professionals coming in and opining and dragging out the cases and making it more expensive. Well, and one of the things that I find fascinating about all these ancillary people is that for the most part, you know, guardians ad litem and um, um, uh, coordinators, I think in in a lot of areas, they're exempt from any kind of uh, lawsuit. Am I right? Many states, they're immune. Right. Yeah. Uh, some, sometimes it says, in, like, in, for example, I'm in Florida, and it says uh, there's a presumption of good faith for a custody evaluator, or the guardian ad litem will be outright immune in, in some states from uh, malpractice or misfeasance. But mm-hmm. what happens is, too, we've got a big problem, is what constitutes... What constitutes malfeasance by one of these people when, you know, it's just their opinion and they're, they really don't have any, anything solid. There's no science there as, to, as far as what they're really basing their opinions on. That's, that's all bogus. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, I become very negative about psych- psychology for that reason. Yeah. Well, I do believe that, uh, you know, the research, although it's not sacrosanct, I think that, you know, it does give us hints. Um, about behavior. Here's the problem. It gives us broad hints about trends, demographic trends. So, for example, there's survey done, because in psychology there's very little experimental research on people for obvious reasons. We can't do that. But uh, So we have a different kind of research and sociological research and psychological research. So we can, we can look at trends in broad demographic groups. What we can't do is then take that and walk into court and say, These, this family, this child, therefore, ta-da, because there's no way to apply that broad research about trends to that specific case. Okay, So you can't apply it uh, to that specific case. And, so, and, and it's merely a guess. It's a well, the research says that children will be better off if blah, blah, blah. There's a tendency for them to probably maybe be better off. And we don't even know if that research, how good that research is. A lot of it's very flawed to begin with. But let's say the research shows that children tend to be better off in a situation like this and such. There is no way to come into court and say with any kind of scientific certainty or anything that should be respected as an expert opinion that therefore in this family, this child, we predict will be better off if baba. And and that is the problem. Unlike in in something like medicine where you can pull blood and you can test, you could say, oh, 80% of so-and-so exposed to this kind of toxin will come down with a disease. Okay, so there's 20% that don't have it. Can we figure it out? Yes, because we can test their blood or we can do some other kind of objective test and go, aha, mm-hmm. not so in psychology. There's no way That's of true. knowing. Okay, so yeah. they, they're coming in and they're trying to apply, and then don't even get me started. The research itself <laughs> is biased. It's, it's replete with nonsense, think pieces, bad methodology, and, and out, outright propaganda promoting you know c- cognitive bias uh, all kinds of things that, uh, publication bias where if they do it and it doesn't come out the way they want it just never ends up from printed anywhere it's it's particularly bad in in the fields of so- psychology and sociology a lot of the research uh is just crap so um <laughs> You're getting me where I live here, Liz. Well, yeah, I know that. And, you know, there are a few psychologists and mental health people who still talk to me. I used to have a lot of them as friends. 
And I'm sorry about that, but you know what has happened is I started out and looked at this, and I look, was looking at the politics, and I was looking at the finances, and I was looking at what the men's lobby was doing. And then it became really clear sometime in the early 90s, mid-90s, it transmogrified. And all of a sudden it was the, the, the AFCC, Association of Family and Conciliation Courts, and all of these bar associations where they had these associate mental health people. And the burgeoning of the publications and the journals. And I start to see this lobbying going on in state after state. And who was lobbying was not the men. It was the psychology industry making work for themselves in the court system. And they're who were pushing this. And as I saw this lobbying going on, you know, there's a, an issue is hot and it's being lobbied and all of a sudden there's this all these papers coming out these research and here's the thing you know there shouldn't be this continuing argument for example like domestic violence heather i know you're you're into domestic violence uh and you study that and so forth why after all these years is there still room for articles pro this and con this and articles you know arguing theories and so on and so forth and the reason for that is Psychology really isn't science. These survey so-called research and, and, and the, the way it's rooted, because we wouldn't continue having an argument. Real science doesn't work that way, where people just keep spouting contrary hypotheses and nobody ever gets data that sort of puts anything to bed. Okay. Hi. So. I, I respectfully so, disagree with that. <laughs> Are well, you shocked? <laughs> I'm not shocked that no, you disagree I, with that. But um, yeah. I'm right, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you have the confidence. That's good. <laughs> I do, I, because um, it came over many years of study slowly. And, um, and uh, you know, and... You know, I'm sorry. I mean, I was shocked, too, as it started to dawn. It's very hard to to change a, a belief. You know, we grow up in a society. We believe in certain things. We believe, uh, you know, that, you know, psychology. I mean, it never occurred to me. I never, I never thought about it much. And when I did, I just assumed uh, because that's the public beliefs in it. And, um, and uh, it was, it was a slow dawning and a shocking dawning and, uh, uh, there was a lot of cognitive dissonance there before it it, it resolved. So. Well, I think that you know, just like um, oh, uh, just like attorneys, just like physicians, there are some people who practice their profession, and they are not necessarily outstanding at it. Uh, there are some researchers who are not necessarily outstanding at it. Um, but I think, for the most part, people who go into psychology um, do see issues, and that's why they try to do research to see if they can figure out issues. And that's yeah, an admirable thing. It's not about the individual. It's about the field itself. And I'm not dissing individuals. It's the yeah. field itself has some fatal flaws. And we're, we're, lawyers, lawyers are practitioners. They're craftsmen. They learn procedure. They learn techniques. They're they're called the mouthpieces. They're they're most lawyers. They're not academicians writing philosophical articles about the law. Um, most of them are practitioners, and and they're it's just, they're practicing a trade uh, profession. It's but it's a, it's a trade. It's a profession sure. because they're supposed to be a little bit selfless in certain circumstances, but. It's not comparable to um, psychology. It, it, psycho it's a different kind of field altogether. Um, mm -hmm. Psychology pro pro professes to be a, a science, so it needs to be compared with how things are done in the in the hard sciences and the other sciences. Not not trade like the the guy who is a lawyer or who. Uh, is a craftsman, a furniture maker, or or someone who's doing something completely different? Okay, um, I'm going to toss out our phone number again. It is six four six three seven eight zero four three zero six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. And don't leave me alone to argue my case with Liz. <laughs> yeah, don't do that um, to her. Come on, people, call in. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not fair. Um, <laughs> it's not fair for me to have sprung this on Heather. She doesn't because... fight. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't fight. She's actually a very nice lady. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, as I said, one of the things that we do agree on, I think that's not a necessarily popular opinion, is, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember the 70s when we were all fighting for, you know, feminism and equal rights and all that kind of stuff. And somewhere along the line, I think we shot ourselves in the foot and didn't realize it. Because by, and this is my opinion, because by um, advocating that men and women are absolutely the same, there's no difference in parenting, we basically shot ourselves in the foot because now we're in a position where uh, men can go in and argue in a court, in a custody case, that, well, we're just, you know, we're absolutely I think we just do agree. We do agree there. I think we do agree yeah. um, there that there is a difference between the so-called, it's not a gender. Gender is what traditionally was used for language. It means the sexes. Um, yeah. It's not a clean demarcation, but there's one thing that's an absolute, and that, and that is in reproduction. Reproduction itself is at the heart of what makes the two sexes different. And uh, we've evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. Um, it, in certain ways, it, it, for, it, it's, it, it defies logic to say, oh, well, the only difference is in uh, some temporary uh, plumbing, and then after that, all is different. Well, and it doesn't affect anything else, and that's simply not true. Um, but it's not popular to do any research these days or and for some time now that says that there's actually differences between the genders. Why? Because there's always overlap in certain areas. You know, we're talking about, once again, these demographic, these studies on demographics, which don't hold true for every individual, even though we can Absolutely. make generalizations. And then the other problem is, is that uh, it's just unpopular uh, among the feminists, the feminist groups. And by the way, I, I resigned from feminism. I don't consider myself a feminist anymore, even though I did for many, many years. Uh, it's unpopular to say that there could be differences, for example, in thinking or that hormones might affect things. There certainly is. Well, I think, don't you think that, that traditionally that whenever we've admitted that there is a def difference, then we put it ourselves hurts in a position women and of a which fear. one is better, which is the better difference, you know? Well, there's a fear that women will be harmed if we buy into any of it. So it's we're like springing from one extreme to the other ridiculously when the truth is, in this case, actually at neither extreme um there is a difference between the sexes uh especially when we're talking about family law and we're talking about they had children that they're fighting over except for these isolated um cases uh, that are same-sex couples adopted or surrogates or parenting or whatever but uh for the most part there's a there's these family law cases are about the two sexes a man and a woman and their kids, and uh, and there is a difference, and there's a difference yeah, in well, how they supported their whole life up to that point of that yeah. case. Well, we used to have, and again, this has gone by the wayside um, uh, for the most part. We used to have the tender years doctrine, which, if a child was under a certain age, we assumed that he or she would be better off with the mother. Um, and now, I mean, I was talking to a w young woman not too long ago, and um, she's not married to the father, but she has a two-week-old baby, and the court just ordered a custody of uh, one week with dad, one week with mom. Well, two-week-old baby. Crazy. Which is of crazy. Of course, there goes breastfeeding, there goes, you know, I mean, that's there just crazy. There goes a sense of security, just that that infant isn't old enough to know what's going on. And the ping-ponging mm -hmm. back and forth. Uh, it's not that necessarily that either one is innately a better caregiver because, like I said, these are indivi individual things. There's situations in which the men are happen to be far and away better caregiver. I mean, they're, they're rare. They're not the majority, but there are situations. Yep. I mean, people are still individuals. However, yep. 
this infant going back and forth, what you have is a situation in which the infant learns to make a certain sound and one of the parents responds to that in a certain way. The infant goes somewhere else and makes a certain sound and that parent doesn't respond to it. That infant gets confused, shuts down, okay, and doesn't know how he's supposed to get, get his needs met. All right, where a consistent caregiver, and, and this, I think the research has been done on both men and women, if you're consistent, the sole, primarily the sole caregiver, of course, with little breaks here and there, of the infant, you learn what that infant, who is rapidly growing and changing, by the way, um, things may be different a week later on an infant yes. when you get the infant back. There's this blackout period for both parents where they don't know what's going on. And that's not good for the for the baby. They don't yeah, know exactly. Okay, and um, it's not but, like uh, where one puts has a babysitter for a few hours, and that babysitter is beholden to report back and and to be called constantly. And it's very very different. And that's also not so good if there's too many hours in third party care. But where there's these blackouts, and and even for older children. Just that one point that, that in the joint custody where there's a blackout, there is no parent who has a con- continuous knowledge of what that child is doing and what that child is up to on a day-to-day basis. Both parents yeah, exactly. have a period of blackout, and that's not good. That's not healthy. No, uh, older children not. can that's- manipulate. Uh, different stories. Uh, they don't know. They can't keep on top of schoolwork. I mean, but with younger children, it's devastating. Yeah. It's devastating so, for the security okay, of that child. So you were saying, okay, we don't need to have all these ancillary people uh, to report to the judge, but yet that the judge is perfectly capable of making the decision. It was a judge who made that decision. Well, and, and you know what? And and the judges are going to make wrong decisions, especially now that we've had 20 years of crap research papers pushed by the mental health promotion industry. <laughs> You're just not leaving me alone, In favor Liz. of joint custody, okay? And they do trainings of these judges, and this stuff wouldn't have been there in the first place. It, the judges are confused, and they're and they're and the laws say certain things and everything else because of the, that industry in the first place. So the first step is to getting get them out when they have no more incentive to make money in the courts. Then they have no more incentive to push these papers and these ideas, and it gradually will change back to common sense and what everybody really knows. Okay, but that's not going to happen as long as they have. So, but judges do make wrong decisions. However. If the judge is going to make a wrong decision, and by the way, you're more likely to get a 50-50 kind of idea from a custody evaluator, and I, I, I hear from hundreds of people around the country constantly every month. Oh yeah. Then you then you are from a judge, especially one who is new. They're the they're the best. They haven't been trained by these people yet, and um, you're going to get a wrong decision from a judge. But you could just as easily get a wrong decision with the infusion of the guardians ad litem and custody evaluators and so on and so forth. Why? Because A, the discourse of the papers and the so-called research is pushing it, and B, it makes for problems which increases the time, expense, and cost that requires referrals to conjoint therapy and parenting classes and parenting coordinator to help the people get along in an impossible situation. And so it makes more and more, they get, and they love to give referrals because they give referrals, they get referrals, you know, and that's how they build up their market for their own own business. And so if you're going to get a wrong decision, at least get it having spent less money, for heaven's sake. <laughs> and then, you know. Yes, that's I true. Mean, I mean, right. uh, why spend more money to get the same wrong decision? so long that there are no resources left to, to raise the child. I mean, it just is a lot of people. I Case after case after case after case, I hear, I don't think a day goes by that I don't get at least one or two people calling me, and they, they've been in this messy 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 custody situation and it's gone on for years and one or both of them is completely broke gone lost their job interference with their life lost their home don't have money just wiping them out it's like a party feeding on these people all they want to do is disentangle themselves and make a little you know 
And the, the, the problem from the side uh, of the men is that the men ha- are pushed. They, it's not always their fault. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, they, there is every incentive to get them whipped up into a frenzy that, you know, they have to go for this. They have to go for custody. And I just heard yesterday from, from a man who's like, well, he doesn't really want to have his kids this much time. He's got a new girlfriend. He's got a new job. He's very busy. He doesn't... He loves his children. He loves spending time with them. He'd love to take them somewhere, you know, on a Saturday or if he wanted to and have some flexibility when he wants to, if he wanted to go camping, if he wanted to take them to his family for holiday. He'd love that. He doesn't want to be held to the schedule of caregiving, but he's afraid to say anything because he says, well, why don't you, why do you do this? Because the, their mother would be happy if you just, you know, because he says she'll go right into court and she will ask for more child support and more money. He's afraid. Hmm. Well, that's sad. That's, I think, that is sad. I think that, it, you know, in my experience, this is anecdotal, I admit that, it's usually the, the fathers who are um, running into court because they usually have more resources. Um, and the, the thing, you know, I, I can't say that I totally disagree with, with uh, anything you're saying, except we're kind of leaving the lawyers out of this equation. And I know a lot of lawyers who will purposely drag cases on in order to line okay, their well, own pockets. Okay, well, here's the problem with, with, with the family lawyers, lawyers, okay? Because mm-hmm. lawyers, and don't, don't forget, I came here not as a family lawyer, you know, as originally as a tax lawyer, financial, business, corporate lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and, and this is a, yeah. a portion of my practice. And I see a lot of different areas of law. Lawyers are lawyers, Lawyers will do what they need to do. I mean, first of all, everyone who's practicing family law, if there wasn't all these big bucks in it because of the mess of the cases, they would go find some other, they would practice in some other area of law. But the ones that are in it and are practicing 100% family law, here's the difference between them and, let's say, a business lawyer. I have clients that I've had for 20, 30 years. They are ongoing yeah. business clients, and they come back to me, or, or estate planning clients that, that for years and years, you know, periodically will call me when they need something. That's not true in family law. These are one-shot clients. They come in, they, so there's no loyalty to them. Where is the loyalty of these lawyers? The loyalty is to those who send them business, and who sends them business? They get the, the mental, there's an unhealthy feeder back-and-forth feeder relationship, referral relationship between these lawyers and the mental health people and the helping professionals who come into these courts. And so they, they want appointments and the lawyers want cases and they both, whenever they grab, they, they're constantly referring and feeding back and forth to each other. And that makes a problem for the family lawyers, those who are making their living. Then they also have a captive audience. They charge, the family lawyers in so many places charge hourly rates that are way above what any business would pay their lawyer. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It is. It's a, it's, it is. I have, mean, the whole yeah. system is so screwed up, and unfortunately, it's children that are in the middle of it. It's I children, think, it's, you, I know, it's parents, too. It's, it's, they're destroying yeah. people's lives. Um, um, one of the things that, that you're not addressing, though, is the, um, the parent who is extremely controlling where, you know, he, and I will say he because it's usually the guy, um, not that it can't be the girl, the woman, um, but um, they won't give up. They won't give up. They will um, uh, go into debt. They will do anything. There are those kind of litigants, yeah, in all areas of the law. I mean, these are the same people that, you know, fight in the probate courts when, you know, dad or mom died. Uh, that fight forever yep. or that, that don't let go of cases. The problem with it in family law is that we've allowed it by leaving it so loose and sloppy. We floated so much away from the rule of law and left it to all this opinion opining that they can come in on all kinds of bogus issues like parental alienation, like she didn't do this, she didn't do that. It's never cut off. And then yeah. it's been exacerbated because of this this sloppy, it's timeshare. It's, 
you know, it's a percentage, it's a dividing of the time and so on and so forth. And because the child support and the custody remains open for the lifetime, for the childhood of the, of the child, that all of those years, instead of being done and settled, it's, it remains open. There is ways it can be fixed. And, and, and helped, but we basically let the door open to this kind of abuse. And then you've got the problem of the abusers who, are, who have a lot of money, the control mm-hmm. freaks, and when they're paying these helping professionals to do their opining, there is often deliberate bias. And so no amount of training yeah. in the world is going to fix that because it's deliberate bias. That's where they're getting paid. We've tackled some pretty heavy topics, um, and I want to switch just a little bit because something you said the other day when we were talking fascinated me. Um, a friend, a uh, couple of friends actually, have uh, watched Dr. Phil this week, and apparently, I don't, I stay with no, him. No, ugh. Like yes, and um, <laughs> apparently he has, has had another case. Uh, and I'm getting this secondhand, so forgive me if I have it incorrect. Um, apparently, there was another situation where the husband was abusive, and uh, my friend who watched it said that um, the, father, the the husband was just like literally physically in the woman's face, demanding that she do something, and that Dr. Phil just let this on, and then at the end, he apparently recommended that they both need counseling. Um, in my experience, this guy just does not get it. And it's just like showmanship. You actually were on Dr. Phil. I what sat right you... next to Dr. Phil on a Dr. Phil show. First of all, he is a physically very large, imposing alpha, alpha male type, okay? All right. Yeah. So he's a, he's a huge guy. Um, a huge guy just doesn't get the balance of imbalance of power issues uh, from just just the physical standpoint alone, okay, and how you know the big guy can intimidate doesn't get is not going to get that, okay, because he's not been in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also, I don't think he really has any particular ideological interest in any of these issues. He's making a, a huge amount of money as long as the show is good and it's good TV. Uh, people arguing or whatever, and then, of course, he has to come in and opine, and I think he tries to hit on some kind of common sense opinion of his audience because that will keep him popular. Of course. And uh, I don't think he really, I don't don't know if it's a question of not understanding so much as uh, he doesn't really care. It's not what he's into. He's selling a show. Uh, Any of these shows, these TV shows, these these are these exist for a different reason than to actually give advice. And anyone who actually watches these things and thinks they're getting this is infotainment, and 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 it's meant to create a big audience and to sell that audience to advertisers, which is how they make their money. Of course, and yeah, and that's and that's yeah. and that's it. So, yeah. Uh, but it always he, amazed me how he has such a following because I think you know I on the few times I've seen the show and watched the show, I've been like, no. No, this is you know what are you saying here? You know, um, it's been very uh, frustrating. Uh, uh, it's hard. It's it's hard for me to say. I mean, uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey has a huge following too. Uh, she's the one who boosted Dr. Phil, and uh, I, I don't know these daytime talk shows. I don't I don't get it. I don't watch them. They don't interest me. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. These exactly. ditto soap operas or any of that. In fact, I watch very little TV. I, I don't understand the. Uh, the interest in them, but be that as it yeah. may. <laughs> yeah, and for me, I, you know, I mean, I just, uh, um, I just sit there thinking, really, there are people, there are thousands, millions, I guess, of people who watch these things and believe it. And I think, oh, oh and they're gosh, getting, and they that? think they're getting advice from it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. It's it's, it's really terrible. unfortunate. Um, but, but you know, I mean, just but. You know, sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong, but the problem is, is that that's probably fifty-fifty. So <laughs> that doesn't give you, you know, <laughs> they could flip a coin and get just about the same result. Well, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I've I've read better. There, but it's like advice columnists too in the newspaper. I mean, there's ones that are completely screwball, and then here and there, you'll there's there's one or two that 
they, they're actually really good, you know, and their advice mm-hmm. is good. Uh, but um, these aren't the places to get advice. <laughs> no, no, they're not. <laughs> or in chat forums um, on the Internet or in, you know, some of these big websites that have, 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 have exploded on the family law issues. And they hold these, oh, yeah. these, all these chat forums. And, and the purpose of the chat forums is the same as it is on TV or in the newspaper. It's to drive traffic to these websites, which boosts them in the ratings, which boosts their advertising revenue. And yeah. it's a very bad place to get advice. Um, I, for that reason, I take no paid advertising on my website. And sometimes well, one that of the hurts, things that I... I noticed in um, you know I do a lot of a little bit of reasonable amount of research on these show for these shows, and um, with you with you, um, not only did I find uh, you know a lot of your commentary which is fine, but I also found a huge backlash from the fathers' rights movement, and yeah. some of these were <laughs> were just vitriolic. Oh um, yeah, you know yes, it's been going on for many years. Yeah, I mean, just vitriolic. I mean, some of these things. I get both extremes, Um, you know, but that's, you know, what can you do? I think anyone who, I I, I don't make any bones about saying what I think. And and I don't say it unless I pretty well researched it and think it's correct. So, uh, but, you know, People are going to disagree. There's people that hate me uh, horribly, or think they do. They don't know me, but they hate me. I, I get letters. Con- I get I get emails constantly from men and sometimes women and stepmothers and grandparents and psychologists and writing me everything from a, a thoughtful thinking they're going to change my opinion by engaging me in in, in a conversation to outright nasty. Oh yeah. Um, and when my kids are little, I mean, I even got threats. Uh, I, I I would get periodic phone calls. Uh, I'm going to tell you what it. I'm going to show you what it's like to lose a child. Oh yeah. dear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. Um, um, I can't be intimidated. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and but the the vitriol I, I think is what really astounded me on this, and the um, prevalence. Of the vitriol. I, if you Google domestic violence, for example, I think fully two thirds of what pops up is this this male vitriol um, uh, that is. Just and that's just a small group of men, though. You know, I mean, it's really important because there's a good point that some make. All men are not. This is a small. Unfortunately, they get more. They're louder and they get more media and more attention than than they warrant. It's really just a minority. Um, and you know, I, I've represented men, and I've talked to a lot of them. I mean, some some of them who are really angry, uh, and they sound really nasty. They're really hurting because we have a culture in which we raise men to express themselves in very different ways. It's not cool for them to just cry <laughs> and be yeah, sad. That's true. Sometimes it comes out. And it, it's important to understand that that they express their emotions you know, in different ways. Of course, when it gets to the point of being violent or dangerous to other people, that's, you know, it's got to be stopped. But the loud, blustery, nasty, I mean, sometimes some of this, what looks like anger, shouting, whatever, it's not. It's it's scared. It's sad. It's worry. I mean, they have fears, too. <laughs> sometimes it's yeah. about their money uh, as much as their kids. Yeah. But whatever, <laughs> yeah. that, uh-huh. Right, whatever. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I'm not into dissing men. Um, a lot of them read my website. I mean, they, they assume, they, you know, and they send me these nasties. Sometimes just for fun of it, I will engage them in conversation until they realize that they, they may not agree with me at all uh, because it doesn't serve their particular situation or their interests. But, uh, you know, not a man, not a man hater. Um, I just yeah. speak the truth. I mean, I, I, I'm equally nasty to everybody. <laughs> equal opportunity nasty you know, equal opportunity <laughs> nasty <laughs> right right totally uh, fair well, one quick, yeah one quick question uh, that I have for you well I guess it's not so quick how did you get the idea why did you start Liz Library because I, I go to it all the time um, well I started putting it up because I was involved in 
a, some listservs back in the early 90s, you know, before there was even Internet, uh, graphical Internet. And um, after a while, I mean, I, I did lobbying. I was really into the feminist and the gender stuff at, at, at a certain point in time, and family law always comes in part of that. So I was on these listservs. And people would ask me questions or, or issues would come up, and I would get... Oh, I have to say the same thing again, you know, in an email to another listener. So I would post an article, and then after a while, other people would ask me, you know, if I could post their article. Uh, and it was sort of an informal little collection of things that went up mainly to just say, uh, here, there's the article, or, or uh, here's a piece of research to another attorney so you don't have to email it. You know, and it just sort of started informally like that for a few years. And then I was married to a guy who is a computer geek, and he uh, he actually started the uh, the website for me. No, oh, honey. Uh, well, I'll tell you, it's very comprehensive, uh, very comprehensive, not only um, uh, uh, current events, uh, but also history of certain things. I mean, it's right, just, and, uh, if you haven't gone to it, I would really recommend you, you check it, it out. It, there's um, stuff it, that I've written, but a lot of it is contributions from other people and the whole sections of the website have are not m- mine really they're just i'm just hosting them sure you know, and, you know, and the it's, it's quite a resource have you ever gotten any feedback on the website itself what do you mean on the website i mean I get it constantly that's how they find me no no <laughs> i mean, mean uh, negative any yeah any any nasty grams about the website well about the ideas on the website, I mean, I get it constantly. Yeah. That's oh, yeah, how they yeah, find me from from around the country. They find me oh, really? from the website, or somebody linked to the website. I mean, in in my in my private law practice, um, you know, I don't have any issues like that. Yeah. My clients love um, me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, having uh, you know had a little bit of experience with attorneys, you know, uh, you're like a bulldog, and you want somebody like that on your side <laughs> when you're in a legal situation. I think so. I can imagine your clients do love you. Um, you do, but I that doesn't had... mean that I'm nice necessarily. I mean, I'll yell at my clients. You know, I oh, mean, sure. well, it's I really important ever, that ever... they don't do stuff that hurts them. Yeah. Uh, after talking with you for an hour, I have no doubt that you would yell at your clients, <laughs> which I think is probably a pretty good thing in a lot of cases. Um, I've had so much fun talking with you, Liz, and I can't say that you I agree with all of it, um, but it's been a great deal of fun. And um, do you you don't want to give out any any personal information? Well, I, you know, I, I mean, but anyone, people should go to the website if they want to see, uh, read about the issues, uh, it's a good start. I've got lots of links to things that, you know, in addition to that, thousands and thousands of citations to research. Um, I'm not looking for business. I'm not on this show. I mean, I don't need any more business, and I don't really need more people contacting me from around the country where I don't even pressure. Sure. So, you know, I'm not doing it for that. Um, you know, I'm here because uh, these are these are interesting and timely topics, and uh, I, I care about them. You know, yes. and uh, I read. Well, and that comes my... across. That that definitely comes across in your website. So, again, I would definitely recommend the the website for folks. And one of the things that I usually try to do, um, Liz, when I wrap up a show, is to come up with some sort of quote from somebody who's uh, wiser and more knowledgeable than me about the topic. And I actually found a, a quote by Judge Sturgis. I did a little research on him, and uh, he was from, uh, you know, a century ago. But he said, justice is open to everyone in the same way as the Ritz Hotel. And I thought that that was kind of an interesting commentary, especially when we're talking about the money issues, you know, that, that yeah, if you, you know, you're, you're welcome to it, just like you're welcome to get a room in the Ritz Hotel, but it's going to cost you. You know? I'm going to give you a counter quote from Clarence Darrow. Everyone knows him, that okay. famous lawyer, and he said, there is no justice in or out of court. That, that, there you Time go. Time to get real, well, and, people. And, <laughs> yeah, and, there's goals. Well, and, and the thing and that I find to them. with with a lot of folks is they think that the court system is about justice, and no. it's not. The court system is about laws, and hopefully those laws will lead to justice. We'll be um, just, we hope, and that the process yeah, will be it, just and fair. 
but, yeah, but uh, things like revenge flawed. or fixing what happened in the past, there there's certain things you can't fix. Yeah, yeah, and and there are certain things where no matter how much money you throw at it, it's still going to be a, a, a garbage situation. Right. Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. I really have had a good time, and I hope you'll think about coming back and joining us again sometime. I will. And we are Three Women, Three Ways, and uh, we bring you information every week. Next week we're going to have another uh, kind of interesting program. We've got programs on PTSD coming up and uh, uh, lots of things that you'll find interesting. So join us again next week on Three Women, Three Ways.